0: at the helm of some of the most respected organizations in the world, and you can become the next big success story. Now, here is your host, Maureen Metcalf.
1: Hi, welcome to Innovating Leadership, Co-Creating Our Future. Today, we're going to be talking about the good fight using productive conflict. I'm your host, Maureen Metcalf. I'm the founder and CEO of the Innovative Leadership Institute. We help elevate the quality of leadership globally and work with leaders to co-create a thriving future. Our work includes helping leaders in navigating the disruptive trends that we're all facing and developing strategies to transform themselves and their organizations to thrive now and in the future. I'm a regular contributor to Forbes and the lead author on an award-winning book series, focusing on innovating how you lead and transforming your organization. I'm also a fellow with the International Leadership Association. I am delighted that our guest today is Leanne Davey. Leanne is a New York Times bestselling author of three books, including The Good Fight, Using Productive Conflict to Get Your Team and Your Organization Back on Track. She is known as the Water Cooler Psychologist She's a regular contributor to the Harvard Business Review and frequently called on by media outlets for her expertise in leadership, team effectiveness, and productivity. As a co-founder of the Three Co's, she advises on strategy and executive team effectiveness at companies such as Amazon, Walmart, TD Bank, Google, 3M, and Sony. Leanne also has her PhD in organizational psychology. So we all know that business today is more competitive than ever and staying ahead requires you to make tough calls, face hard choices and to work through conflict. But productive conflict is rare. Why is that? Because productive conflict requires a different mindset, new skills and repeatable processes, none of which come naturally and none of which most of us were taught as we were coming along in our careers. So today, Lainey and I are going to talk about building a productive conflict culture. So Lainey, thank you so much for joining us.
2: Hi, Maureen. Oh, I just, you made that, the the mistake that my mother doomed me to my whole life. It's Leanne. Oh, just sorry. <laughs> no, no, no. It's because of the crazy spelling, but totally okay. Nice to be here. Thank you. So, Leanne,
1: <laughs> what else do you want our listeners to know about you?
2: Oh, that's a great question. Well, that name, the water cooler psychologist, is one that other people gave to me because they initially would hear that I had a PhD in psychology and everyone would get a little worried. They'd make jokes about, do I need to lie on the couch? Or are you going to ask about my mother? And so probably the most important thing you need to know about me is I'm not that kind of psychologist, but... Really, I'm somebody who's fascinated by how humans are at work and all of the good, the bad, and the ugly that that entails. So, that's me in a nutshell. So, why did you write this book? Because I needed to read it. <laughs> I, I, and of course, I think there are so many of us who uh, who write the books that we need and, and what I mean when I say that is, you know, I grew up in a house that was very conflict averse. Um, my family, particularly my father, did not like conflict and was very uh, afraid of words being used and doing damage and leaving scar tissue. I think he people had said things to him in his life. He's a very sensitive guy that, you know, stung him decades later. And so he was so careful with it that I grew up just in a house with zero conflict in, in all all my years, I never heard my parents raise their voices. It just wasn't done. And so the problem was when I ended up in the workplace with zero conflict skills I learned very quickly about all the things that don't go well and learned that it's very hard to advocate for yourself. It's very hard to address just the normal frictions that come up when humans have to work together under a lot of pressure. It's impossible to take scarce resources and make tough trade-offs if you don't know how to have conflict and how to have it productively. So uh, I just, I didn't see things in the marketplace. Certainly there are Great books about having an actual difficult conversation, including difficult conversations and crucial <laughs> conversations and fierce conversations and radical candor. And but there was so little that helped get at the mindset of why do I feel this way? Why why am I so conflict averse? And also very little that helped us go beyond conflict as an event, like the conversation, and get it to become a habit. So uh, I needed to read this book. And given that nobody else had written it, I figured that, well, I better just do it.
1: You know, it's interesting that you share about your background. Mine was, my, my dad was a military officer, so much more direct. My mom was an artist and very conflict avoidant. So I was taught that the only way, especially for girls to stay, stay, stay safe, was avoid conflict and avoid men who were conflicting. Which was not very effective as an adult professional, especially because as a consultant, I was paid to have a point of view yeah. and afraid to share it yeah. because it felt un—it literally felt unsafe. I was taught it's not safe to argue with men mm-hmm. and men who are taller or bigger. And at five two, everyone's bigger. <laughs> Right. <laughs> children yeah. are bigger. Yeah. So <laughs> I, I really needed to and so I'm really excited about your book. And part of the reason I'm sharing this is probably a lot of our listeners have come from various environments where we were literally discouraged from communicating and and taught that it was conflict was literally unsafe. Mm -hmm. And and so smart Mm -hmm. women did not disagree with men. And there were a lot of men and women who should be disagreed with, especially if that's your job. So tell our listeners, um, please, a little bit more about... um, how, to your point, we probably, many of us, have the books on our shelves, Crucial Conversations, mm-hmm. Difficult Conversations.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: What is different? You've certainly spelled out the need for the book. Yeah. Um So, walk us through kind of what's the table of contents and yeah. some of what, what makes this so valuable.
2: Yeah. So, let's think about the book in three chunks. It's written in three chunks. And let's say that the middle of the book is the least unique contribution, because the middle of the book, which I call the conflict code, which is how do I have conflict productively, is the most similar to all those other things that already exist. It just felt weird to write a book about productive conflict without addressing the conflict itself. So, it's there. But let's go in two directions from that conflict conversation. The first section of the book gets to this issue of our unhealthy relationship with conflict. And it starts by helping people interrogate their own voices in their head and how those voices in their head affect um, how they think about conflict and and what the pictures in their head. So, so for you, the word unsafe is a very potent word when you think of conflict, um, or at least when you did. Um, so I go back and look at, uh, all the voices. So the four for me were my grandmother who told me, if you can't say anything, nice, don't say anything at all. And that's when I learned conflict isn't nice. Um, the adults in my life who anytime as a kid, another kid started to cry, would like descend on the scene, give you the, now look what you've done, and you would get in trouble for someone else's emotions. So that was the point at which we learned, well, emotions are scary and bad and we shouldn't evoke them. The third one was my grade four teacher who taught me to mind my own business and taught me that if there's conflict between two other people, I should turn away and not get involved and not help. And if you think about the Me Too movement and various other predatory behavior, how much of that was facilitated and enabled by people minding their own business. And then the fourth one was about um, the sort of be good and stay out of trouble idea and the the don't speak truth to power and it's better to just tough it out rather than try and make it better. So I start with, I share mine. I'm very open about how I call them my itty bitty shitty committee, all the, the voices in my head that <laughs> to talk to me and tell me to avoid conflict. And I encourage um, the reader to do the same, to figure out what are and and for you? You've just done a great job of that. Saying, "Look, this is the dynamic I grew up with. Here's why I learned that conflict was unsafe, and here's why I didn't engage in it." So I start there, and then I go into. Uh, so I, I I coined a phrase which has really caught on, which is that because of this we get into conflict debt. Which is all of these issues that are coming at us that we really need to work through. But because we're afraid or we're minding our own business or because it wouldn't be nice, we we let them pile up as debt on a credit card. And uh, we pay interest, we pay penalties, and that conflict and resentment and issues tend to grow and build until the point where if they do come out, it's then it erupts in something very, unpleasant and very unhealthy. So I talk a lot about conflict debt. I help people to assess where there's conflict debt in their lives and assess it both in terms of how is it affecting your organization in loss of growth, productivity, innovation, risk management? How's it affecting your team in eroding trust and engagement? And how's it affecting you in mounting stress? Um so the whole beginning of the book is really a bunch of reframes to 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 think differently. So all these voices in your head, how do you um you know get rid of them? I always say the little voices on my shoulder I have to like flick them off my shoulder, get rid of them and and replace them with a much healthier relationship where I understand that conflict is a natural part of healthy relationships. And, and an important protection from unhealthy relationships, and, and I need to reframe it. So the whole first part of the book helps you to confront that and, and come to terms with that. Then we get into the section on, okay, how do I actually do it? But the the third section, which I'm most proud of, is when I I got to the point where I said, I go through, and you probably do too, Maureen, I meet organizations and leaders all the time, every day, who have been through difficult conversations, fierce conversations, and they're not behaving any differently because it's just too big an ask. It's too aversive. It's too unpleasant, right? Yeah. Well, so
1: go back to my situation. It's unsafe to to confront men. Right. As long as I believe that, it doesn't matter how many classes I go through. I started with Peter Senge's conversational recipes and learned to say, would you be open to an alternate point of view? If the answer was no, no more conversation. there was no, yeah, there was no crucial. There was no difficult. It was a simple question. Yeah. Would you be open to an alternate point of view? Uh, And until I learned to navigate what was happening inside of me, it, it wasn't yeah. a skill; it was a mindset and a, an incredibly deep-seated um, fear. Fear, fear, yeah, right. Yeah. Yeah. Bad stuff happens when yeah. girls, because this happened when I was a girl, yeah, disagree with men. You, yeah, right. right. It's Children dangerous. are to be seen and not heard. Yeah. You don't argue with authority figures. And Wait till your father gets home and there would be a <laughs> paddle or a belt or something. And yeah. and my parents were good parents. So this isn't yeah. bash your parent day. It's that generation of parenting was about right. con- command and control. Yeah. And the result of that was a... a probably a generation of us, not just women yeah. who were taught many of us that conflict can look physically dangerous or because I'm not sure my dad was looking forward to coming home with and picking up a big, right. The wood to That's hit true his too. kid. Yeah. So yeah, I don't, I don't think anyone looked forward to those events. Yeah. And so I love the idea that you're helping people uncover yeah. The voices that got us here, because my sense is, and, and it sounds like your research has clearly shown this, it's not necessarily just a skill deficit. That right. may be part of it, right? But but that it is a will or motivation or yeah. fear yeah. that really keeps us from putting yes. in place the skills we can
2: have. Yeah, so the whole first section of the book has to goes. that's where it goes deep. But the third section says, okay, now how do we make conflict less of a root canal and more like flossing? So it's processes to never have to ask, may I have a, you know, may I disagree with you, may I have a fierce conversation? It's processes you can do with your team that set up conflict as an obligation, rather than as a negative or a detracting from your role as a team player. And we actually help each member of a team understand their obligation to disagree, to bring diverse perspectives, to represent their stakeholders who might be different than the stakeholders of their teammates. So when we get through the third section and we learn how to treat conflict more like flossing, <laughs> less like a root canal, then we're much- So that's the section I'm most proud of.
1: You know, I love our... Our leadership competency model looks at innately collaborative as one of the key skills. And that pulls from the idea that we need differing points of view. And if we've got people who can't express a different point of view for any number of reasons, then we don't, it doesn't matter how much we put people in the same room or on Zooms, we don't get it. So we're going to go on break. Leanne, thank you so much. We will be right back. And to our listeners, we are talking about the importance of difficult conversations and and how they create a positive impact and a necessary impact on our business success. And for us as leaders, they're required. So I encourage our listeners to think about the question Leanne asked early on. What were the messages you got as a young person that framed how you think about conflict either negative or positive for some folks conflict is the only way to interact and so you're having a very different listening experience than leanne and i are we'll be right back
0: Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. The Innovative Leadership Institute is your trusted partner to create perpetual innovation and evolution in your leadership and organization. Are you ready to innovate and evolve? Since its inception, the Innovative Leadership Institute has been dedicated to helping leaders evolve their leadership mindset and skills and create organizations that can continually innovate to achieve results in a highly competitive and rapidly changing environment. We help leaders, management teams, and organizations identify and create the capacity to update how they lead. Identify and implement transformative solutions necessary to meet their mission and create strategic advantage. The Innovative Leadership Institute offers proven results backed by leading-edge research and a global network of accomplished consultants and thought leaders. Visit InnovativeLeadershipInstitute.com. Maureen and her associates are ready to discuss your needs and tailor a solution to meet your goals. Move forward with the Innovative Leadership Institute. Visit InnovativeLeadershipInstitute.com today. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You are listening to Innovative Leadership, co-creating our future. To reach Maureen Metcalf or her guest today, please call 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. Or send an email to info at InnovativeLeadershipInstitute.com. Now, back to this week's program.
1: Welcome back to Innovating Leadership, Co-Creating Our Future. You are with Leanne Davey and Maureen Metcalf, and we're talking about the good fight using productive conflict. So, Leanne, you talked about the third segment of your book, being the process that turns conflict into habit for many of our listeners they don't have one of those processes which is why you wrote this book so can you, so yeah this is intuitively correct um, so can you tell us more about what
2: uh, what you wrote about yeah so, I'll tell you a fun story because it makes it a little bit more fun to think about these ideas. So one of the things that I curse about all the time is that most of our language and imagery of teamwork is a boat full of rowers. And we see that image everywhere and we hear the language of being in the same boat and pulling in the same direction. And in my experience, I find that imagery tends to reduce conflict, the good kind of conflict, because, you know, when people have an idea that's different or, you know, the plan is almost finished and you think, oh, I think I spot a problem in it. You have this image in your head of, oh, I'm supposed to be pulling in the same direction. And so you tend to hold back on the issue. So I needed to have a different story, a different metaphor, a different picture. And and my family provided the perfect one. And it's a silly, silly story, but it turns out all these years later, it's helped so many teams to create a conflict habit. And what it was is we, we took our kids camping when they were little. And it was It was all good until a couple days in, there was a big rainstorm coming and we knew that our little tent was not going to keep us dry. So we drove to town to buy a big plastic tarpaulin, like the biggest tarp we could find to cover the whole tent and provide us with some protection. And when we got to the store, they were mostly sold out except for this one sad little tiny tarp. So we brought it back to the campsite and we tied ropes on each corner and then the four of us had to sort of stretch it as tight as we could so that the rain would roll off of it and get it kind of centered and in the right spot so that with the way the wind was blowing. It was going okay until uh, my husband decided that this was his moment to prove how strong he was. And with my five-year-old on the diagonal corner, he gave it a good yank and uh, sent her flying into the mud puddle. And when I got her cleaned up, uh, the nine-year-old at the time sort of rolled her eyes and while we were pulling, she let go and the corner of the tarp came flying up and the tent was getting soaked and it was just a disaster. And a long time later, I realized that, oh, this is a better image of what conflict is supposed to look like. We aren't pulling in the same direction. We each hold our own rope. That role is different than every other role on the team. And we have to pull in our own direction. And if we pull too hard, we yank the whole tarp off target and the people in the tent, the customers or the shareholders, get wet and sometimes somebody gets hurt. And if we don't like conflict or we don't come prepared or and we let go of our rope, then we leave something exposed. And so this became the story and the basis for an exercise that we do now with teams all over everywhere. And it's actually the exercise is published in Harvard Business Review as well. And what we do is we take every role on a team. Unfortunately, it's more than four. So we make our tarp round so it can have a few more ropes on it. And we define three questions. And so I encourage your listeners to ask these three questions and do this exercise with their team. So first question, what is the unique value of this role on the team? What's their expertise? What's their knowledge? What are their superpowers that they bring that no one else on the team brings? That's the first question. Second question, what unique stakeholder do they have? And who are they thinking of and advocating for? And who's putting pressure on them? And finally, what obligation do they have to question and put tension on the discussions and decisions of the team? And you'll find when you ask these three questions about each role on the team, you create epiphanies for sure. The the comments around the table are hilarious. We tend to get a lot of like, oh, I just thought you were a jerk. (laughs) people realize that, oh, that's your job. Um, but amazing epiphany comes. And, uh, you know, I will never forget doing this with the executive team of a big food company and talking to the head of sales. And and I said, okay, you know, what what's your unique value? Well, I'm here to really customize our products to fit with each different grocery store and what they're trying to do and fit with their brand and their packaging and their vibe. Oh, cool. Okay. And so, you're thinking about the grocery chains as your main stakeholder. Yeah. And your your attention is really about, is it really compelling? Is it customized? Is it differentiated? If that makes sense. Then I looked at the head of operations and he was already smiling because he was a smart man who knew what was coming. <laughs> I said, "You tell me, answer the three questions for you. And he said, well, my unique value is to create consistency <laughs> and to make things efficient. And my stakeholders are more internal and And the tension I have to put on things is you know, is it as efficient as possible? Is it, you know, are we making sure there's as much uptime and and is it optimized? And so they started laughing because they could immediately see that those two roles are supposed to be in tension. If it's going well, they're in tension with one another. And it was just so powerful. And so later when they got this massive opportunity to do um, all the racks of ribs for the July long weekend, And the sales guy was super excited because look at this giant order. And the ops guy was terrified because, well, first of all, pigs don't come as just ribs and he was going to have all that scrap and waste and stuff he was going to sell off really cheap. Plus, it's the boning line, the most expensive line that they have to run to do that. But we now had the framework to talk about the fact that we have to make the right answer and the right call for everybody in the tent. Not just the sales guy yanking so hard on it. So this exercise and in the good fight, all of the instructions to run this with your team are fully in the book so that you can do it without needing me. Um, But it's amazing how once you do this, there's shared language around productive conflict. It becomes like flossing, as I was saying. So when you're making a decision, you can literally just say, okay, we haven't heard from this rope yet. You know what? What's your value? What's your tension? What's your nobody's talked about this stakeholder yet? What right? And it's not. Oh, I have to say something horrible. I have to get into a fight. It's oh no, me. I'm next, right? I have to say my bit, and I have to pull my rope. And it becomes um, you. You have both ends of the spectrum. You can coach to so the people like you and me who might have been letting down our rope (laughs) and leaving something exposed you can coach hey haven't heard yet and you know really let's make sure we know how this is going to impact your stakeholders but for the people who pull too hard on the rope who are constantly talking you're able to say okay we've heard from that perspective but we haven't yet heard from the others so hang on or um you've got the language to say you know you pulling that rope harder is not going to make us a better decision it's going to leave a lot of people in the tent wet. So it the great thing about doing this exercise with your team is you get this shared language. The team leader gets the chance to coach for both ends of the spectrum, and you really get this habit – of how do we optimize decisions for all of the wisdom we have in the room, all of the stakeholders that we need to represent with this decision, and with all of the tensions to make sure that we've made the best decision possible. So that exercise is one I'm so very proud of. And every time we do it with a team, I can meet people five years later and they're like, Leanne, we're still turpin." <laughs> they've made it a verb. That's always a sign that your your work has been successful if somebody's turned it into a, they've verbed it. <laughs>
1: kind of like xeroxing and googling. Exactly. Now you're Exactly. You're in that category now. They're tarping. Now. <laughs> They're
2: tarping. Yes.
1: <laughs> well, and I love I love that you point out the difference between the rowing and the pulling. Yeah. Because it it really is all of our I think of the old Covey posters and that stuff. They always show like the rowers
2: as the sun's coming up or going down yeah. and And I always laugh because the water is so flat. I'm like, when was the last time your business was in flat water?
1: (laughs) (laughs) It's been a while.
2: Yeah, they they could
1: show people doing rapid, you know, kayaking going through rapids. rapids. Yeah, yeah, that would be a much more accurate. And I think of a time I went kayaking and I fell out of the boat. Um, I'm not a professional. I've done that too. I've done that too. Yeah. and then i got my leg stuck under a rock and it's oh. yeah it was a bad trip and the point is these things are hard and yeah. they require skill yeah and it it just takes time to learn how to to navigate that to continue with the rough water yeah. analogy that how we behaved even months months ago now a year mm-hmm. ago pre-pandemic and what a was- lifetime
2: ago <laughs>
1: <laughs> well and how many people we've been for those lucky enough to be able to work from home we've been working from home yeah. and had less in some cases less conflict because we mm-hmm. if we like the people we live with we've yeah. had less conflict
2: yeah and that's now- an interesting point it, because uh, what we've seen is a lot of conflict dead on teams so, another one of our socializations is that if you have to have a difficult conversation, you have to have it in person. And so, I've literally talked to people who said to me, well, you know, they're telling me about a grievance they have with a coworker. And I say, okay, have you spoken? Oh, no, I don't want to do it over Zoom. So, I'll, I'll do it when we're back in the office. I'm like, you're going to sit on this for a year, making sure the resentment is nice and toxic before you bring it up. Like, And so, it's another problem. We, we've had less conflict true, um, in terms of it being an an actual conversation. Um, But we haven't had any less conflicts, (laughs) if you know what I mean, right? So, our conflict debt on many teams is really getting out of control. So, I worry about Mm -hmm. um, all the built-up hostility and resentment. when we go back into the office, these people who, um, you know, we don't think of quite the same way as we did uh, when we left.
1: When we like them.
2: Yeah, or when we hadn't had a self-inflicted wound, uh, like the the quote I think about all the time is Nelson Mandela, who they asked him, you know, did you resent your jailers who who beat you? And, and he said, no, because I understand that resentment is like swallowing poison, hoping the other person will die. And so I think there have been a lot of people swallowing poison this year, resenting their teammates, um, feeling unacknowledged for how much they're doing that no one can see because they're doing it at home. And all of that uh, resentment is going to come back with us to an office where uh, I think for some teams, it's going to be really challenging.
1: That's an interesting point. And it seems that we need to build the skills to work remotely, not just how to use Zoom, which we've all mastered.
2: Sort of. Uh, I still muck it up sometimes.
1: (laughs) Well, we we have gotten to a level that that is acceptable. We all still leave the mute on sometimes, and that's yeah. But my sense is we will also develop the capacity to create resonance across the the miles. You and I are in different countries, yeah, and we can create a strong resonance on a screen.
2: Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And,
1: And because you and I both now have habits of dealing with complexity and challenge, my guess is if we had a conflict, we would process it.
2: Figure it out, yeah. I did a YouTube video on how to have conflict remotely. And uh, I actually point out in that video about how in some ways it has huge advantages. Like for one, you can take notes for yourself and put them beside the camera on the screen to just remind you of, you know, like even a little sticker of a happy face to remember to, you know, try and keep smiling. Because I always tell people this, like even if you're on the phone and you think it doesn't matter, it does. Because the way... That your mouth is shaped. If you're Hmm. just listen to my voice with your eyes closed, if if you listen to my voice when I'm not smiling, and then you listen to my voice when I'm smiling, the pitch is higher because when you pull up your muscles to smile, you actually lift your soft palate, which changes the shape of the resonance chamber of your voice. And the person on the other end can pick it up, whether it's subconscious or not. So, you know, when you're having a conflict uh, in the office, putting a smiley face on your palm, you look like a bit of a dork if you have like cheating on the exam notes. But if you're on on Zoom, it's really easy to have that little sticker reminding you that if you're having the conversation while smiling, they'll pick it up subconsciously. So there's some big advantages that if we just got over our mindset, which is I'm not supposed to have hard conversations virtually and just realize that yeah, I'm supposed to have hard conversations when they come up, so I don't get into conflict. debt, <laughs> that much better to pay off the seven dollars than to wait till it's a hundred bucks with interest and penalties. Um I agree with you. I think we're going to learn all these skills, and and remember, there are some big advantages. Uh, and and even just so you talked about um, conflict being unsafe, well, just think about even the, for your brain, the little bit more safety. When it's separated through a screen, no one's going to physically lay their hands on you. You're safe from that. So there are some advantages to, um, and those big, huge men don't look so big and scary in a little, in a little square. You can even shrink the square if you want, make them smaller. You can't do that in person. So there's some big advantages. And once we get over that hurdle of our own, you know, norms of having conflict uh, in person, we'll realize that we can do this. And in some ways it's better.
1: As an introvert, I'm happy to be at a distance from people who are frustrated yeah. with me.
2: Yeah.
1: Um, I had a niece live with me for a while. And when we were in conflict, she would text me, which was, and I remember talking to one of my colleagues who was like, that's terrible. I'm like, oh no, it's fabulous. It works for me. Yeah. <laughs> because yeah. I got to understand the challenge and what, and got to formulate a response before i had a, a you know pubescent young person
2: right yelling at me
1: this was yeah there to for an introvert and i can't talk about you know that whole percentage of the population having the space to formulate a a well thought out response to your point i can draw yeah. a smile i can think about all the reasons i love having her live with me so right. i'm not responding with whatever the dishes in the sink thing Right. I, I'm thinking about. I adore this person, yeah. and there are dishes in the sink. And, yeah. and, and in in perspective, the conflicts are are a whole, back to it's flossing.
2: Exactly right. It's a seven dollar thing. Why pay $100 for it when everybody gets in a huff and, right? So, uh, you know, I completely, completely agree with that. And people underestimate the importance of giving a heads up to a difficult conversation you want to have. Because if you're the person who's been sitting with resentment or, or grievance or issue, you've had time to prepare and to have all your great examples and to tell a whole story and all those kinds of things. And if you ambush them... And they're naturally then defending and protecting, which is just normal. You're much more likely to go down the root canal path. (laughs) Whereas if you give them a bit of a heads up, you know, I felt like this morning's meeting, um, when you said this, I I didn't know how to take it. I'm telling myself a bad story at the moment would love to you know touch base with you and get a sense and then the person can be like I don't even remember saying that they could touch base with someone and say did I say that and the other person be like yeah actually you did say that and you're like oh, oh right like then it's much more of a level playing field and much less likely to be in that emotional fight flight or freeze moment um so I'm a big proponent of more of a heads up more of a level playing field and and use writing um, to signal the conversation and, and let the other person be better prepared. I think that's just kinder than um and and of course it's not what our norms are. We think the right thing to do is to go up and look them in the eye and say something. But to me that just and I'm not an introvert, but that feels like an ambush to me. I'm I'm sensitive. So that's maybe where it comes at for me. I'm not an I'm not an introvert, but I'm very sensitive. So you're gonna hurt me. <laughs> and then I'm gonna protect myself. Well, and
1: you scare me when you say yeah. things like, and we're going to go on break in just a second. When you say things like, we need to talk, that that is like the worst yeah. thing to say. It, it signals something dire has happened or will happen. It, right. So to your point, you said something in the meeting this morning that hurt my feelings. I just want to close the loop. Different yeah, than different. we need to talk where I, I hear you're an absolute incompetent or something and right bad i'm gonna be fired yeah (laughs) that's what i think it's the your dad's gonna be home and he's got that big board he's gonna hit you with the the and instead it's just i wish you wouldn't say something so so yeah just to close the loop on that and you were gonna say prepare people
2: yeah, I, I just think it's, and and yeah, so I had a boss who used to just text or su- send an email at the subject line, time to chat, question mark, and I finally had to tell him that I was going to physically hurt him if he did it again, because it just provoked this horrible fear in me and everyone else. So don't do the time to chat, but just say, you know, in the meeting, when this issue, I, I don't feel like we resolved this, you know, I'd like a chance to come back to it or this hurt my feelings, or I'm, I'm telling myself a story that might not be true and would love to hear from you firsthand. So yeah, don't do it in a way that, because if you just say time to chat, you're not leveling the playing field. You're not giving them any chance to prepare. You're just double ambushing them with the email and with the chat. <laughs> so you want to give them enough that um, that they actually can collect their thoughts, Um, Can maybe collect some information if they need some information and uh, be ready to have the conversation as equal partners in the conversation instead of getting talked at.
1: More of the tarp. More of
2: the tarp. Absolutely. (laughs) Absolutely.
1: So we're going to go on break, and this is Leanne and Maureen, and we are talking about positive conflict. We'll be right back.
0: Maureen and her associates are ready to discuss your needs and tailor a solution to meet your goals. Move forward with the Innovative Leadership Institute. Visit innovativeleadershipinstitute.com today. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You are listening to Innovative Leadership co-creating our future. To reach Maureen Metcalf or her guest today, please call 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. Or send an email to info at com. Now back to this week's program.
1: Welcome back to Innovating Leaders, Co-creating Our Future. You are talking to Leanne Davy and Maureen Metcalf were talking about the good fight using productive conflict. So Leanne walked us through the structure of her book, the, the idea of conflict debt. She gave us the beautiful visual example of the TARP and ensuring that everyone on the team has a common language to talk about the three questions, what's your unique value on the team? Uh, what's unique to your stakeholders and what unique obligation do you have on the team? Leanne, now let's talk about community organizations and how they fare differently oh. than, in some oh. cases, corporates.
2: <laughs> it's not a pretty picture, Maureen. It's just, it's so interesting because many years ago, uh, I was sitting on the board of a not for profit, a very important. Subject near and dear to my heart, and I was sitting in a board meeting thinking, this is even worse than the conflict at my day job, and I get paid to go to my day job. So I started investigating, what, what is that about? Why do we not have productive conflict in our not-for-profit, in our volunteer organizations, in our synagogues and churches and mosques and all these places that so many of us, the PTA, goodness gracious, that's another good one. Um, and I, I really saw three different stories that people tell themselves um, as to why they don't engage in productive conflict, why they drop the rope in the TARP metaphor. Um, so the first is that they just tell themselves that, well, you know, this is such an important cause, like this is about people with cancer. And so who am I to complain about how I'm being treated or this or that, right? You you are so focused on this very, very important cause that you subjugate your own needs to the cause. So that's one thing. The second thing is a lot of the dysfunctional behavior is coming from other people who are volunteering their time. So you think, well, he's volunteering his time. Beggars can't be choosers. Like, you know, I'll cut him some slack and we put up with dysfunctional behavior. And then the third one is that the, the leadership in the not-for-profit sector isn't always great. And so sometimes we're kind of making exp- excuses for weak leaders in the organization, even if they're paid staff. So we have all these great reasons (laughs) that we tell ourselves for why we put up with it. But, you know, I actually take those exact three reasons and say, that's exactly why you need to do the hard things, have the hard conversations, because A, this issue is so important that it really needs you to get the issues on the table. Secondly, because it is your volunteer time, this is supposed to be something that enriches your life and helps you decompress from your day job. So it's another reason why you deserve for it to be a healthy dynamic. And finally, because the leadership maybe isn't so strong and they need your help in broaching these tough issues and and taking difficult you know, stakeholders and, and getting them to the other side. So, um, you know, really, you can add so much value as a member of uh, of a charity, a not-for-profit, a community organization, if you're the one who can help. Well, even helping with the TARP example. So, I was um, going through a TARP example with a very large not-for-profit, and it was an issue between the head of fundraising and the head of programs, And the head of programs was a very kind, generous, empathetic, sensitive soul, because that's what you want as somebody building your social service programs. He was a lovely human and he was sensitive and things, you know, he had a thin skin, things upset him. And the head of fundraising was a strong, dominant, doesn't take no for an answer. And they were clashing with one another. And and I just did the TARP exercise and I just started saying, okay, What's the head of fundraising? What are her superpowers? Well, one of her superpowers is how strong and assertive and convincing and what a steamroller she is because you wouldn't have any money to run your programs if she took no for an answer. So let's remember that that's what we need from her. And then to her who had kind of been looking down her nose at him as, you know, a bit of a wimp, said What's his superpower? He feels everything very profoundly. And that's what makes him good at building programs. (laughs) That's the point. And you wouldn't be able to raise funds because the programs would suck if you didn't have somebody. So, um, you know, if you are somebody who can help your community organization through the tarp to understand the tensions that are supposed to be there. If you can help broach and stop minding your own business and instead help people get to the other side of some of these conflicts, you will be in hot demand just as much as somebody can make great cupcakes for the bake sale, or has a pickup truck, those <laughs> these are people in great demand in the world. Somebody who can make a, a great lemon square, somebody who uh, somebody who has a pickup truck, and somebody who can help the community work through some of those contentious issues. So, yeah, that's been a big theme for me. And in in the good fight, uh, the first nine chapters are all about um, you know in the workplace and and productive conflict there. But I. I riffed off of the funny line in commercials when they're doing crazy things with stunt drivers and it says, don't try this at home. And I have a bonus chapter called try this at home. And it talks about conflict in a healthy marriage, raising conflict, uh, constructive conflict children, and then contributing in our communities with productive conflict. So that was a fun chapter to write, to get into some of these other places where we need conflict just as much as we do in our organizations.
1: Well and if if home is a safe place yeah. it's a wonderful place to practice yes. because again we will, I will make the assumption that if it's a safe place yeah. we're more forgiving these are the people we actually chose to be with some of our coworkers we wouldn't have chosen so yeah. so we and in my relationship now it's one of the things i like most is that we do have have those conversations like flossing. And it is yeah. often. I mean, there, yeah. there's stuff when you live with a person and you manage a budget and you've got things to There's always work stuff. Through.
2: Yeah. One person likes the vacation with no plans, just a plane ticket mm-hmm. and nothing else. And the other one likes the vacation where every hour is planned and the tickets are bought a year in advance. And, <laughs> you know, that's, that's okay. That's the spice of life. Um, mm-hmm. But if you let it blow up, right? Um, then it's going to be a problem. So yeah. How do you get to the flossing model? Um, and, and in a way, and it's very hard when there are situations that are not as safe. Um, it's, it's very, very challenging, but in theory, you want to avoid the explosive moments as much as possible. And so the more you can learn ways of, you know, getting the issues out when they're very small and and people who have to manage, um, unsafe or unhealthy situations mm-hmm. become very savvy at that right how to navigate and and manage these things to avoid explosiveness and my book is not not about those unsafe situations i have no expertise in that but um in a good relationship um yeah the flossing approach is a, is a really good one
1: well and i would add the value of humor i'm thinking about my oh, yes. relationship and the the comments. I said something this morning about the list of things to do this week. And he was like, oh, I love when you plan our weekends with house tasks. And, and it was <laughs> right, nice. just a gentle, like, really? You've planned every minute of the weekend already with house projects. <laughs> right. And it, it was the ni- nice way to say, like, are we going to do something fun too? Fun. Yeah. And, and I... <laughs> And that was all that was required. Now I have backed off on my (laughs) list of expectations. (laughs) Yeah. It's going to happen over the month, not the day.
2: Yeah. And it leads to a really great follow-up question. Just is like, what would feel like the right amount of our weekend to devote to to those kinds of tasks and, and, you know, what kinds of things do we want done by when? Right. And, and, you know, there's all sorts of great questions because it might be that his version ends up with the, you know, the patio furniture being all good to go in October, which is less of a good plan. So, so there's give and take when you have some good open questions so that you can actually communicate with one another about these things. So, but I love the, the subtle little like uh hint of like, him and there are a lot of
1: well and humor just works so much better for us yeah it's I got the point (laughs) Roger that yeah and that's that's pretty much all I say is got it yeah yeah because I we know each other well enough to to know (laughs) what the agreement is about how we spend our weekends and it is not all weekend doing that but yes we we all have our things so, what do you want to make sure our listeners take away? We, we've heard, manage the debt, create yeah. the process, create the common language, and do it. Deal, yeah. with the, deal with the childhood stuff.
2: Yeah. So, I would say that the line that I tell people to remember is, some things are worth fighting for. I love that.
1: And this is your
2: superpower.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And
2: people mm-hmm. can learn it. Absolutely. And and the skills are not hard. The skills I can teach you, they're very easy. I have a whole YouTube channel of the skills. That's not the issue. It's the doing the work to understand uh, what's your baggage and, and who's in your itty bitty shitty committee and who's telling you what are they telling you and to really do the work. To realize, it's like your own therapy, doing the work to realize that um, I choose not to listen to those voices anymore. They're not right. And I'm getting into more trouble getting in conflict debt than I would have been if I just paid it off initially when the issue was still small and we could have it with humor and we could address Mm -hmm. it and move on.
1: So Leanne, we've got about a minute left. Where do people reach you? Your YouTube channel, your book, your LinkedIn, how would you like people to- Connected. Yeah.
2: So the YouTube channel is just Leanne Davey, which the only hard part there is the spelling, but it'll be in the title of the episode, I'm sure. But L-I-A-N-E-D-A-V-E-Y. And that's also my website, LeanneDavy.com, And those are the two best places. And then I'm really active on LinkedIn. And so if you have questions, if you um, want to engage with me, I post every single week, twice free tools and resources to help bring the good fight into your life. And in companion with this interview, we're going to do a blog
1: and ask you to share one of those tools yeah, uh, so that listeners can have something concrete to walk through. Absolutely encourage buying your book. And as we close, I want to thank you for joining us. Thank our listeners for joining us and encourage our listeners. Get in touch with Leanne's book. Look at her. Look her up on YouTube and LinkedIn like and follow us on whichever distribution channel you use for your podcasts and and radio shows and leave us comments. We want to hear how you are getting better based on the conversations we're sharing with you. So thank you and think about navigating conflict, your superpower.